Good morning and welcome to worship at First Baptist Church Savannah, Georgia on this absolutely gorgeous Lord's Day. Uh, we are so glad that all of you were able to join us for the worship of our God today. Uh, and all are, uh, who are present today are invited to sign one of the pew registers when they are passed a bit later in the service, for this always helps us to know each other better. And if you are a guest among us today, know how much we would look forward to meeting you and uh, getting to know you better at the end of the service today. Once again, welcome to all. Would you join me now in the call to worship? This is the day the Lord has made. This is the time God has given us. This is the life to which God calls us. you join with me as we pray. Creator God, of all we see and love and know, of our past and our future, of our hopes and greatest dreams, of immeasurable grace and forgiveness that reaches to all, we give you thanks today for all the many ways you bless our lives, for the beauty and abundance of nature, for the love of family and friends, and for the joy of knowing you and hearing your word. We pray that you would send your spirit upon us during this time of worship so that we all might dream your dreams and see visions of the world as you created it to be. Old or young, guide our thoughts and our actions. Bring us closer to you and your people that your will be done in this place. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord, who always serves as our best example. Amen.
Let us affirm our faith together. We believe in one God, the creator of the universe, and in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior, who lived and died among us, that through faith he might always dwell in our hearts. We believe in the Holy Spirit, who in comfort or chastisement leads us to the will of God. We believe in the church, community of the redeemed, gathered to follow Christ in mission and fellowship, stewardship and service. We believe in the scriptures, the word of God, given for reproof, correction, guidance unto salvation, and the maturity of the saints. We believe God loves us, Christ died for us, the Holy Spirit remains with us, and the church on earth is for the abounding praise of God. Good morning. We are getting closer and closer to Halloween, aren't we? It's so close. And several of you, listen, yep, that's right. Several of you told me on Wednesday what your costumes were going to be, and some of you I haven't heard yet. But it's fun to put on a costume and pretend to be something else, isn't it? That's kind of fun. And when you do that, you get to pretend what it's like to walk and talk and act like and think like another person or another character. And when you do that, you might even get really into the character. That's what they would tell you if you were acting, to get into your character. And you might ask yourself things like, how would this person feel? Or what would this person do? Or what would they be thinking? Or what would they do if this happened or if this happened? And you get to pretend all of those things. You get to Pretend like you are that person and you're living their life. Now, there are no Halloween stories in the Bible, not that, I, not that I know of. But we hear lots and lots of stories, and Jesus told stories. He loved telling stories to teach people different things. And when Jesus tells us a story, what he really wants us to do, one of the things he wants us to do is to pretend that we are the people in the story. So it's kind of like we get to put on a costume of the people in the story and ask ourselves, well, what would they feel? And what would they think? And what would they do if this happened? And we're reading a story in Luke today, and it's about two different people. So we get to put on two different costumes. 
Now the first is a Pharisee. So everybody put on your Pharisee costume. Put it on. There you go. Okay. Now the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. And if we're pretending to be a Pharisee, when we pray, we say things like, God, I prayed five times this week, and I gave this much money to the church. So we get to brag a little bit. And then we say things like, and God, thank you that I'm not like that person, and that I didn't do things that that person did, and that I'm a little bit better than that person over there. So when we pretend to be a Pharisee, we end up bragging a little bit in our prayer, okay? All right, then there's a second person. So take your Pharisee costume off. All right, now we're going to put on a tax collector. Okay, so the tax collector goes to the temple, and when he prays, he doesn't even look at God. He hangs his head down really low because he's kind of embarrassed. And he says, God, I'm really sorry for all the things that I've done wrong. And I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made and for the people that I've hurt. Can you forgive me? And so when we pretend to be a tax collector, we ask for forgiveness. And we're really honest with God. We tell God all of the things that we kind of have not done well and that we've messed up on. So two different people and two different prayers. And they're really different, aren't they? And what Jesus wants us to do is pretend to be those people and what it would be like to, to feel like that person, what that person might be thinking and feeling and what they might have done and why they might be praying that way. And when we do that, when we pretend to think and feel like that person, we are practicing something called compassion. And it means we try to share their feelings and we try to understand who they are, and why they do what they do. So when they're happy, we try to be happy with them and understand why. And when they're sad, we try to be sad with them and understand why. And that's what it means to try and to be and to practice and to do compassion, is to try to understand how you feel and why you feel that way, and how you feel and why you feel that way, and why you do what you do, and why you do what you do and why you act the way you do. That's what God asks us to do. When God asks us to share and be compassionate, it's pretending like we're somebody else. And when we do that, we can best understand who they are and why they do what, what they do. So Halloween is not the only time you can pretend to be somebody else. God asks us to do that and so that we can be compassionate and so that we can understand people. And when we understand people, you know what it's easier to do? Love them. When we understand somebody, it's a whole lot easier to love them, and that's what we're asked to do, okay? So can you all pray with me? God, we pray that you would help us to show compassion to other people by trying to understand how they think and how they feel and why they do what they do. We pray that you help us to love all the people around us just the way you do. Amen.
The first lesson is the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 23 through 32. Be glad, O sons of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years which the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even upon the men servants and maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will give portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Our second lesson this morning is from the letter to the Colossians, the second chapter, verses 6 and 7. These verses are also the basis of our 2017 stewardship campaign, Rooted, Giving, Growing. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving.
Our gospel lesson for today is taken from the gospel according to Luke chapter 18 and beginning to read with verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the written word of the Lord. I'm grateful to the members of the Stewardship Development Committee for all of their work this year on our annual stewardship campaign, and especially for the theme which we have been following during these weeks of October, Rooted, Giving, Growing. That theme says some things about the values that are important to us, both as Christians and members of First Baptist Church. And that theme also says some things about our goals as a congregation. We are rooted in Jesus Christ and the grace that God has given to us in Christ and in his church. We are called to be a giving people in direct response to that abundant grace. And we are invited to be people who are forever growing, not merely in the numerical sense, although we hope that that is true, but growing in grace and in faithfulness to God and in generosity as well. This morning I would like to touch upon all three aspects of that theme. R.E.O. White and other New Testament scholars point out that our epistle lesson for this morning constitutes the focal point of Paul's entire letter to the Colossians. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul insists that his gospel is the original message shared by all of the churches. The content of that tradition was Christ Jesus as the Lord, not mere doctrine, and as such it is the confession of all true Christians and the basis of salvation and of baptism itself. To explain this, 
Paul uses four metaphors in these two verses. Live, rooted, built up, and established. He says to those believers at Colossae that to walk with Jesus Christ requires a heart that is securely rooted. And he implies that they have been so planted in Christ as soil that they are provided stability and nourishment in their lives. The language here is very similar to that found in the letter to the Ephesians, where it is hoped that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. And in fact, both passages may intend to call to mind Psalm 1, which speaks of the righteous man as being like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Christians are not anchorless in this world. Instead, they are rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and the very grace of God. Now, it's an agricultural image to be sure, isn't it? And even though it may have been closer at hand, more real in some ways to those first century believers than it is for us today, the idea is still a very powerful one. A tree or a plant gets its nourishment, much of that water, through its root system. To survive and to thrive, a tree or plant must be anchored or planted in the soil. To live, it must have roots. Now, I suspect that everyone in Savannah, Georgia, and Chatham County, Georgia, today, understands that in some new ways, especially in the aftermath of Hurricane Matthew. Ever since Alex Haley's book, Roots, the saga of an American family, appeared way back in 1976, and its hugely popular television adaptation the following year, we have come to appreciate the image of roots in an even deeper way. Some of you here this morning are old enough to recall that Alex Haley set out to trace the history of an American, African-American family back to a specific individual, Kunta Kinte, who came from a particular village and tribe in Africa. For people who had been cruelly captured and sold into slavery, sometimes by their enemies, also sometimes by their own family members and tribes, then brought to a foreign continent, denied their language, their customs, their religions, and forced to work under the most brutal of conditions for that segment of the American population to be able to somehow discover their roots was an absolutely revolutionary experience. And at the time, you may recall, 
It was an experience that all Americans seemed to share in. The French philosopher and mystic Simone Weil once wrote, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and the least recognized need of the human soul. She added, uprootedness is by far the most dangerous malady to which human societies are exposed, for it is a self-propagating one. Those who are truly uprooted, she says, either fall into a spiritual lethargy resembling death, or they set out, often by violent means, to uproot those not yet uprooted. To be rooted, though, is to have a strong and dependable system that provides nourishment, to be grounded, sure of who you are and what your life is about. This is indeed one of the most important needs of the human soul. Just this past week, I ran across the amazing story of Christian Wyman, who about 10 years ago now, found himself in the middle of the biggest struggle of his young life. He recently had married, published his first book of poems, and had earned a reputation as a rising young star on the American poetry scene when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Suddenly, Christian Wyman was facing an almost certain death, what he later described as, quote, gazing into the abyss. He and his young wife began to grieve the future that they would not be able to share together. Wyman later recalled how he felt in those moments in an essay that he published in The American Scholar. He wrote, Then one morning, we found ourselves going to church. Found ourselves. That's exactly what it felt like. So that we were casting aside the Sunday paper and moving toward the door with barely a word between us. And as if once inside the church, we were discovering exactly where and who we were meant to be. At our best, many of us in this room understand this also. For we have discovered how nourishing, how enriching a faith community can be for all of us. We are rooted in Jesus Christ, and we are planted in First Baptist Church, Savannah. And for all of those good, good gifts, we find that we offer deep gratitude to God, and we are moved to a greater kind of faithfulness. Now, Paul knew that the path of faithfulness is not always easy. For you may recall that it landed him in prison. 
But Paul also knew, as he says elsewhere in the letter to the Colossians, the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The giving, the giving, to which all of us in this church are called is in direct response to this abundant grace of God we all have received. Several years ago now, a woman whose family recently had joined our church in Atlanta asked me if we expected, if we really expected our members to tithe. That is the practice of setting aside 10% of one's income for the purpose of enabling God's work through the church. I said yes, but I quickly admitted that while some of our members did tithe, that the total number was probably rather small. We went on to talk more about that subject, and I asked her how she and her family had come to the practice of tithing. She admitted that they had not started out in their Christian lives as tithers. But one year, they, she and her husband had sat down and had calculated where they were in their financial giving to the church as a percentage of their income and then had determined with God's help to increase their giving one percentage point per year until they reached their goal of 10%. And then she added that it was not nearly as difficult as they had feared and in point of fact had brought them great joy. Now that family sets a strong example for Christians and for churches everywhere. In a conversation with one of our national leaders of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship about two months ago, I was told that many, if not most, CBF churches struggle along financially, year by year by year, with the average churchgoer contributing something like 2 or 3% of their income to the work of the church. There's a lot of that that goes around. I can just imagine that if every individual and family in our congregation were to give just 5% of their income to First Baptist Church, we would probably more than double our annual giving and dramatically change the scope of our mission and ministry. When we stop to think about the abundance of all that God has entrusted to us, is that really too much to ask? I would suggest that the strong ministries that First Baptist Church offers in worship, in Christian education, in faith formation and counseling, in missions and fellowship opportunities are worthy of such support and are, in fact, the signs of our faith and our commitment. The third and final word is growing. 
Paul's word to the Colossians is that they are rooted in Jesus Christ as soil, implying that they receive there both stability and nourishment. But now, he says, they must be continually built up in the walk of faith. You might be interested to know that some New Testament scholars think that the image there adds to the natural growth of rooted, adds to it the idea of personal effort. Christian believers are to grow and to make progress in their walk with Jesus Christ. As R.E.O. White expresses it in his fine commentary on the book, on the letter to the Colossians, those walking rooted and built up in Christ show themselves confirmed in a valid faith. My prayer for our church is that in these days of reflection on what it means to be good stewards of our considerable blessings, we would add our personal effort to the natural growth which God offers and ask ourselves what it would mean for us to be growing in grace, in faithfulness, and in generosity to God and to others in the world. The church of Jesus Christ and this church which all of us love, will not only survive, but thrive if a number of us will do just that. God help us to do it. And thanks be to God. Let us pray. We give you thanks, our Father, for these moments together. Help us to see again just how generous you have been to all of us by grounding our lives in Jesus Christ and this good congregation. Enable us now by your Holy Spirit to reflect that generosity by the way in which we give to you through this church and in this world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.
seated. Trusting in the desire of our God to hear us and to respond to us when we pray, let us make our prayers of intercession for all this morning. First, as we pray silently, and then as we offer the prayers of God's people this day. Let us pray. O oh God, we pray for the church in the world. Keep us faithful in proclaiming your word, sharing the good news of salvation, and carrying out the ministry of Christ. Deliver us from the power of evil and strengthen us to serve you all for the glory of your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, we pray for the world all around us. Grant justice to those who cry to you. Do not delay in helping them. Establish your reign of peace upon the earth. Pour out your spirit on all flesh so that the people of every nation may share visions and dreams of peace. Lord, in your mercy. O oh God, we pray for this community of faith. Pluck up the seeds of violence and break down dividing walls. Plant and build good things among us. Let this forever be your dwelling place, where even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for her young. Lord, in your mercy. Generous God, we pray for our loved ones wherever they may be today. Let your watchful, loving eye preserve their lives from evil all through the day and night. Be merciful, especially to the sick and suffering. Let your peace and goodness be their comfort and strength. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful and mighty God, make us one with you through Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to redeem the whole world, and who taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, 
as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As others have done this month, um, Dr. Finley asked me to come and say a few words today in support of our stewardship campaign. And often when I think about church giving, I'm reminded of a conversation between my mother and my daughter Camille when she was about four years old. My mother was visiting and she asked my daughter, Camille, do your parents give money at your church? That really put me on the spot. To my relief, Camille answered yes. And then she added, Mommy puts quarters in those silver boxes outside by the car. And I realized that Camille had only ever seen me feed the parking meters at church and not the offering plate. And we do give regularly, but we do it online, so she was completely unaware. Church giving was a behavior that I'd done a poor job of modeling for her. So I pledged to teach Camille why church giving is important. I think it's wonderful. Amazing, even, that church is totally free. You can come in and take part without a single penny in your pocket. But the business of church is not free. If you have enjoyed the air conditioning in this building, a roof that most of the time doesn't leak, the electricity that powers these lights, the materials in your Sunday school, you know there is a cost. If you have had a pastor pray for you, or been moved by the music on a Sunday morning, or sent your kid to vacation Bible school or to Bible study on a Wednesday night, then you have been the recipient of blessings from the staff of this church, and you weren't required to pay a dime, and that is wonderful. But for those of us who can give, we should give willingly and thankfully, as this church gives regularly and faithfully back to us. And we should model this behavior for all the generations so no one can ever think we were more concerned with feeding the parking meter than feeding the work of this good place. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this church and help us to be good stewards of this church by returning our gifts to it. Whether we give of our time, our talents, or our tithe, let us do so cheerfully and generously as you have given generously to us. Amen.
Let us pray. Gracious God, we rejoice in your goodness and your grace. We know that there is no other like you. You have restored us to right relationship, and you send your spirit and abundant blessings into our lives. It is an honor to contribute to the wonders you are doing through the mission of this church, and in gratitude, we, re we return a portion of your many gifts to us. May these gifts and our lives make your dreams and visions a reality for all. We pray in your name. Amen. The invitation to Christian discipleship is offered now. If you this morning would respond to the grace of God that you have discovered in Jesus Christ by professing your faith and trust in him, or by coming to join this good congregation in one of the several ways we receive new members, as we sing today's Hymn of the People and as you respond, we would receive you this day with great joy.
Well, would you all come and stand up here with Lauren and me? I'm very pleased to present uh, Lane McCulley and with her, uh, her son David and daughter Abigail. Uh, Lane comes this morning on the uh, desire to transfer her membership from the Sinclair Baptist Church in Milledgeville, Georgia. And uh, we uh, rejoice in her decision to uh, join our congregation. Those of you who um, regularly attend on Wednesday nights and come on Sunday morning know that uh, her family has been a part of our life, I guess, for the last two months or so, uh, have found our way, their way to us. And uh, we're so glad that they feel at home among us and have chosen to join with us today. Uh, they'll be standing in the narthex following this service and there you may greet them and say a word of welcome. Each Sunday it is all, always our good pleasure to welcome those who uh, visit with us as guests at First Baptist Church and today is no exception. We have new friends and some of them returning friends from North Carolina, from Dallas, Texas, from Colorado, uh, Dublin, Georgia, and also uh, others from right here in our own city of Savannah, including I think some SCAD students. Uh, welcome to all of you and do give our people an opportunity to greet you in the name of Christ uh, following the service today. They would like very much to do that. Quickly by way of announcement, uh, immediately following this worship service, there will be a congregational luncheon served in Lewis Hall to which all of you are invited and no reservations are required. Uh, following the meal, we will have our quarterly church conference where we will consider nominees for deacon, uh, church committees, and task force chairs, as well as a proposed 2017 church budget and other reports on the mission and ministry of our church. So join us, if you will. Our midweek gatherings of the church family continue on Wednesday nights. Uh, including this week with a fellowship meal beginning at 5 o'clock, followed by activities for all age groups. Please join us if you are able. And now as we prepare to leave this good place, would you receive the benediction and then the response by the choir? Let us pray. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.